0: Chatterbox episode number 313, K-Trend 2024, What's Next from Korea? Featuring Andrew and Anna. So Anna, what are we going to talk about in today's episode?
1: In today's episode, we're going to talk about five trend predictions coming from Korea in 2024. Along the way, Andrew and I will share our thoughts about them and we'll discuss whether we think they'll be relevant to other areas of the world we're familiar with, like the UK and Spain for me and Canada for Andrew.
0: Yeah. And listeners, you can think of this as being a kind of two part series that we're going to share with you here in Chatterbox to start the new year. And in this episode, we're going to talk about some future trend predictions coming out of Korea. And then in the next Chatterbox episode, part two. We're going to talk about predictions for different trends for 2024 coming out of the USA. Okay, Anna, let's get started with our main topic of conversation for today, which is talking about different predictions coming out of Korea for 2024. And the trend predictions that we'll discuss here in this episode were made in a book called Trend Korea. And as far as I know, this is a series, and each year, Around the end of the year, they release a new book, and in that book, they make some predictions for what will happen in the following year. So these predictions came out of this book, Trend Korea, and it's written by a group of researchers from different universities here in South Korea. And so this book, along with some reporting done around the release of the book, will be the foundation that we'll use to discuss the trend predictions. So Anna, we have five trend predictions to discuss. And what I think we can do here in this episode is go through the trends one by one. We'll explain them briefly. And then I think it'll be fun to just chat about them and discuss whether we think A, they're likely to come true or not. And B, if we think they'll be applicable to the other geographic situations that we're familiar with. Like, you're from the UK, Anna, but you live in Spain. And of course, I'm a Canadian, but I live here in South Korea. So I'd like for us to talk about whether we think these trends will be a thing in 2024 in general, but then also if they'll be a thing in 2024 in the other countries that we're familiar with. So let's get to the predictions then. And the first prediction is... Kind of an interesting name. And Anna, I don't know. This is something that I think is unique to Korea. But they're really creative when they have a concept that they want to title. And often it's really weird. They don't use a Korean word for titling these kinds of concepts. They'll use a kind of English borrowing, which I think can be problematic sometimes because often English speakers can't understand what these English titles are that the Korean people make. But that's a topic for a different episode. So let's get right to it. The first trend then is called Homo promptus, homo And here, homo, I think, is like homo sapiens, you know, talking about the species of humans. Homopromptus. And promptus is just, I think, the word prompt with a kind of funny, scientific-sounding ending on it. <laughs> so it's talking about humans that prompt. And now why do humans need to prompt? Well, because these days there are so many different AI tools for creating lots of different things like writing text or coding or, you know, many, many things that you can use chat GPT for, or for prompting different AI tools to create art or music or video. Some of the things that we've talked about before on Chatterbox, like deepfakes, right? We can prompt. AI systems these days to create lots of different kinds of things. And so this prediction for 2024 then is that humans will explore and continue to develop skills to interact with AI effectively, and that this will be a huge, huge, huge skill set for humans to have in the future. So Anna, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about this? Homo promptus. Do you think that this is an accurate prediction that this skill will be more and more useful in the future and more and more sought after in the future?
1: I think so. I know somebody who actually started a course recently, which was a course looking at how to use AI properly. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And I asked them, I said, what's the most important thing that you've learned on the course so far? And they said, You need to interact with it in a specific way. It's not like writing a question as if you would ask a person. There is a technique, there's a method that you can use to get it to work best for you. So, I absolutely think that this will be a trend in 2024. I think 2023 was like the rise of Chat GPT. And I think now in 2024, people are going to be like, okay, how can I get this tool to work even better for me? I also think that maybe there'll be even more niche. AI tools in specific sectors as well that will probably come out of the woodwork I don't know in 2024. So I definitely think this is a trend all over the place not just in Spain or the UK or South Korea. I think it's going to be a trend all over the place.
0: Yeah I think you said that really well and I completely agree. I think the manipulation of knowing how to use these different AI tools is going to be super key and absolutely it's a skill. And who knows, maybe we can even use these AI tools like ChatGPT to teach us how to become better prompters. I know that I've been experimenting a lot with ChatGPT, and I've actually used it to help me be better at prompting. So it's kind of weird how that can work. But I think that this was a pretty easy prediction to make. I think this is definitely the future, and everybody can see it from a mile away. And so I think, yeah, this is a very accurate prediction in my opinion. Now, coupled with this Homo promptus prediction, there was another prediction made, which is related. So why don't we quickly talk about it? And that is human oversight over AI. This will be a really important thing in 2024 human oversight over AI. So the prediction made in this Trend Korea book was that human oversight over AI applications is going to be super, super crucial. So many people are worried that AI is just going to completely take over everywhere and everything, right? But actually, they think it's not quite at this level yet. However, coupled with humans, so AI and humans working in tandem together, well, this is going to create the best results. So we'll see an expansion of AI into many various different parts of our lives but it can't just be fully AI yet. It has to be coupled with human oversight. So I'm curious, Anna, what do you think about that?
1: Sure, I mean, absolutely. It seems like that's something that people are talking about a lot is how humans and how we are going to, I say humans as if I'm not a human, but how how we are all going to work with AI and how we are going to use that information and also there's that never ending question that people talk about with this topic, which is, you know, where does the information come from? What information is it giving me? Where is that information coming from? And having a critical eye about the information that you get back, because there is that sort of question of AI can give you the information, but then it's up to you as a person to take it with a pinch of salt and think, okay, well, is this what I need? Or maybe, okay, that's a good suggestion, but maybe there's something else that's missing here in the picture. So. I definitely think it's kind of coupled, as you said, with the trend before, which is, I think just learning about how we actually just live and work with AI. So I think that is the overall trend. And sure, I I definitely think that's going to be a big part of 2024, just learning to live with it. How does it fit in our daily lives, our work lives, etc.?
0: You know, many people are very worried about AI resulting in the loss of jobs, but I could see this actually creating a new kind of job, some sort of AI specialist who is really great at prompting to get the results that are required or needed for, you know, whatever specific situation. Maybe a company could hire this kind of AI expert to do work for them. And then this person would also know what to look for. So to make sure that the work is accurate and there are no errors in the output of the AI. Now, the problem with that, you might be creating one job and getting rid of 500 others. I don't know. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting to see. I could see maybe in the future there being a window or an opportunity available for this kind of person.
1: Right. And I think there is something to be said for, of course, there's lots of jobs that never existed before. Many years ago that now are really commonplace. So I think of course there is that fear and I think people always have that fear of the future, right? The unknown, like what's going to happen? That's a common thing throughout any time period ever. So people are worried about what's going to happen, but who knows what's going to happen in a few years. But you know, things just change and they move and they adapt and new jobs are created. Old jobs are gotten rid of. So it's kind of like the natural cycle of as things develop. But I mean, like you said, maybe there'll be people doing these special AI jobs and sounds pretty boring to me, though. I don't know if I would like to do that job. So maybe the jobs won't be better. Maybe they won't be as interesting, but maybe they'll just be different. I don't know. That's my take on it.
0: All right. Why don't we move on to the next trend prediction? This one is very interesting, and I'm not sure if I like this one or not. I'm curious to hear your point of view on it, Anna, but let's introduce it first. It is hexagonal. Humans, hexagonal humans. And that word hexagonal is not very frequent in English. So let's break it down for our listeners. Hexagon is a shape that has six sides. So it's a six sided shape. And so if you are a hexagonal human, then what this means is it describes individuals who are perfect or really, really excel in six different areas. And of course, remember, Everyone, that this trend report is coming out of Korea. So I think these represent Korean qualities or Korean ideals, maybe to be more specific. So the six key areas on the hexagon are family background, wealth, appearance, occupation, educational background, and personality. And if you are a fully realized hexagonal human, then you will have good qualities in all of these six different areas. So, Anna, I don't know, does this sound like a realistic thing that somebody could achieve becoming a hexagonal human? <laughs> or do you think like people will idealize hexagonal humans in 2024?
1: When I read that trend, I thought it was interesting because the first thing when I read that, I was like, wow, that's a lot of pressure. It's like, okay, I've got to have the family background, the wealth, the appearance, the occupation. So for me, I was like, that's not really a trend I think is familiar to me. For example, in Spain, I wouldn't say that that type of trend of, you know, you have to be perfect in every single way. In fact, I think there is an opposite trend of, well, maybe not opposite, but that counters that, which is I'm fine the way I am. Now, I'm not saying that either one is better or worse. I'm just saying that there is that sort of narrative of I'm fine the way I am. You know, I'm perfect the way I am. But yeah, when I read that, I thought, wow, that sounds like a lot of pressure to maintain that or to have that, you know, these the sides of the hexagon. And if I'm not a hexagon, if I'm a square, you know, that's it. I'm not going to meet the ideal. So I read that and I thought, wow, that sounds like a lot of pressure on individuals. And also, I think maybe people see others and they think, wow, they're a hexagonal human. They have everything figured out. But I would also say maybe that's how it looks because everybody has a public persona or like a social media persona that maybe looks like they're a hexagonal human, but everybody has their own problems. Everybody has their own things going on that people never see. So I would also say that there's an element of that as well, of like, Is it really attainable to have all of these, like six, absolutely, you know, perfect? I don't know. That's what I thought, Andrew, when I sort of first read that. I wonder what you thought.
0: Yeah, I thought that it seems like a very foreign concept to me, even though I've lived in South Korea for many years. As a Canadian, this seems like just really strange because I think we value hard work and becoming your own person and achieving your own success. And it doesn't really matter about what your family background is. In fact, if you come from like a background that was underprivileged, or maybe you had a rough family upbringing, or you know, something like that, you have some tragedy in your early life, and maybe your family is not there to support you, then we almost even think that that's more amazing. And we're like, wow, you had to overcome so much to find success. So the family background for me, especially seems like the most foreign of the concepts. Of course, we still do have that, right? Like we have the royal family in the UK and there are you know, certain children of presidents and stuff. Like there are people who have these rich family pedigrees, which are respected. But at the same time, I think that's not so important in the West. Of course, things like being rich and being beautiful and, you know, having a really great job and all of these things are also things that are valued in Canada and in Canadian society. But I don't think we think that we have to be perfect people to this extent. And I don't think we're so focused on achieving these goals. But I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe (laughs) in 2024 here, we'll see hexagonal humans appearing in Canada as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. And I think coming back to what I said before, I actually think there's other trends in 2024, like taking care of yourself or celebrating the fact that you're not perfect and actually going with that rather than this, I have to meet all of these standards and expectations. So maybe yes, but I think there are some other trends in 2024 that are in a way, opposed to that or it's more about being who you are and celebrating that rather than meeting all these expectations. But I guess maybe that's a cultural difference as well. So it's really, really interesting to hear about that trend, actually. Really interesting for me.
0: Yeah, very interesting. And I think in part two, the next episode, when we talk about trends coming out of the USA, maybe we'll be able to get into that point a little bit more. So let's put that thought on pause and just keep it in the background and listeners will come back to it in the next episode. But for now, how about we transition to trend prediction number three. And trend prediction number three is about how 2024 will see a more time-efficient society. Time-efficient society. So this prediction is all about that there will be a shift in consumer perception of time from hours to minutes and seconds. So instead of hours being the the main unit of counting time, people will be more focused on smaller amounts of time, like minutes and seconds. And this will result in a priority for time effectiveness over cost effectiveness. So really in that you know age old debate, time or money, what is more valuable to you? This is going to see a more of a focus on time and time being more important to people than money. And I guess the basis for this prediction, as far as I know, and maybe I can speak to this a little bit since I do live in South Korea, is that people work really hard here and people are really busy and they put in long hours and they work hard, but they don't really have the time to play hard. And so people are spending so many hours and so much of their time, you know, maybe not even in the office, but commuting to the office. And it was funny when we were reading the review, I think from Roger earlier at the top of the show, Anna, and you were like, oh my God, Roger, you're commuting for an hour. And in my head, when you said that, I was like, oh, an hour is not so bad because for most people who work in Seoul, they actually, well, I don't wanna say most people, but many, many people who work in Seoul don't actually live in Seoul and they commute. They live in one of the suburbs or one of the satellite cities and they commute into the city every day. And a one hour commute time is just very standard and in fact kind of enviable because I think there are probably hundreds of thousands or millions of people who have to commute for an hour and a half or two hours each day. And that's one way. So you could imagine, you know, if you have to, Wake up super early in the morning, two-hour commute, work for, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 hours, and then another two-hour commute home, that doesn't leave you with much free time, right? You've just like spent all of your day working or commuting, and you have no free time left over. So I think there's a mindset in many people, like, what am I doing this for? I'm just working. I'm just this kind of slave to the job. And I'm not enjoying my life. So I'm accumulating some money, maybe, but I have no time to spend that money or to enjoy myself. So the time efficient society here then is putting more of a focus on time and thinking like, hey, money's no good if you don't have any time to use it. And I don't know. Anna, what do you think about this prediction?
1: It's interesting because the way that I reacted, you're absolutely right. Because for me, because I work from home, the idea of commuting for an hour for me is like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine because, you know, I get up and I go into my living room and I start working or occasionally if I have to do things face to face, but it's within the city. So for me, the idea of commuting is kind of almost even disappeared. And if you said to me, Anna, you have to commute for two hours every day, I'd be like, whoa, whoa. But like you said, actually, there's many people, and even in Madrid, here in Spain, there's many people that come into Madrid that spend hours commuting every single day. So I think there's always that push to make the most of their time. And I was reading about another thing in Korea, which I found really interesting, about people wanting to take quarter days off or half days off, like just trying to kind of maximise any kind of free time that they can. I thought that's really interesting because I like that idea because, you know, sometimes if you have a medical appointment or there's just something that you want to do, maybe you don't want to take the whole day off, but maybe you want to make the most of your time and take two hours off or just two and a half hours or a half day. And I thought that's a really interesting trend. And I don't know whether that trend would fly somewhere like Spain right now, because I think they have a slightly different working culture. But I thought that was a really interesting idea for how to make the most of your holiday time that you have allocated each year in a more time efficient way or a way that you want to spend it. So I thought that was really interesting trend that was in one of the articles that you sent me.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And actually, it's funny to relate it back to the commuting talk that we were just having a second ago. I have a friend who took one of those micro days off, like I think a quarter day off. And the reason why he took the quarter day off the other day was because he didn't want to have to take the train in rush hour. So he took the morning off so that he could take the train later in the day when it's not as packed, which is a little bit sad, right?
1: Yeah, but I, I get it. Who wants to be on a super busy train? But you have to, you have no choice. But so I kind of understand it. But yeah, it would be nice if maybe he was doing it to, you know, do something other than choosing the best train with less people on it. But I mean, each to their own. That's the point, right? You can choose how you want to take it. You know, if you want to take that half day, I mean, I'm sure people in HR are like, I don't want to have to manage like people taking quarter days off and half days off and things like this. But I think that's a really interesting trend that maybe let's see how that trend goes in other places.
0: Mm hmm. Exactly. Very good. Okay, let's move on to the next trend prediction, which is one about how people will spend their money and how businesses will market to consumers in 2024. So this trend is all about variable prices. And the prediction is that consumers in Korea are going to be more open-minded to varied pricing systems where prices are broken down into categories or segments, which allows for lower overall costs and additional charges for specific things. So I think, Anna, what this means, I heard it in reference to golf, talking about golf. Golf is really popular here in Korea these days. It's a huge, trendy sport, but it's an expensive sport, and to go golfing at an actual golf course can be really really expensive and cost hundreds of dollars and so what most people do when they say they go golfing is they actually go to a video golf place and play kind of like screen golf with real golf clubs but you hit up against a screen and it's kind of a virtual golf experience which is pretty cool But the idea here is that instead of maybe going golfing and golfing a full round of 18 holes, the golf course could offer a more affordable option, maybe like a six hole round. So you could still go to the golf course, you could still have the experience of golfing outside, but because it's so expensive to play the full 18 holes, well then you could just play six holes. And that was how this concept was communicated and that we'd be seeing this kind of varied pricing for different services in many areas of the economy in the next year.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I can't say that I've been very conscious of this variable pricing, for example, in Madrid or Spain. I mean, there are things where I notice where they give you kind of different price options. I mean, it seems interesting, you know, the example you gave there about golf, like why not? If it makes something like this sport, which is, Generally, sometimes quite difficult to access, or it's very expensive, as you said. So, the cost tends to be quite a big barrier for people. I think, yeah, great. If we can break that down into segments and help people to experience it, but maybe not have the huge cost. And I think I'm all for it. I haven't seen that particularly here, but maybe it's just I'm not conscious of it or I'm not sort of noticing it. But it seems like that would be a great thing to do is maybe you don't want to have all the aspects of a specific experience or a specific product, and you kind of want to pick and choose. And personalize, I think, as well, is something that kind of popped up into my head there. You kind of want to personalize it for how it works for you. So yeah, I imagine that could be a trend that could take off in other places as well. Maybe it already is here. I'm just not as conscious of it because I, you know, maybe I don't notice it as much. I don't play golf, for example, so I can't speak to the golf industry or golf playing industry here, but interesting trend.
0: Yeah, I think one place that you can see it pretty easily is like Netflix, for example. If you sign up for a Netflix membership, they have like the cheapest tier, which maybe I think you have to see some ads if you choose that tier, but the cost is lowest. And then they have like the standard tier and then they have premium tier and HD tier. And I don't know about all of their different options, but they have depending on what you want and the service that you're looking for, you can pay a different monthly amount for that service. So. Yeah, I think I've seen this a lot online, but it will be interesting to see if that makes the jump into brick and mortar stores and the physical world as well. And yeah, I think it could be a good option for a lot of things like just as a foot in the door, right? To use the golf example again, I also don't golf. But if I were to try golf, I think I would be intimidated to play a full 18 hole round of golf. Like that just seems like a lot. And if I suck and I'm terrible, then that could be a really embarrassing long day. <laughs> so maybe just like, you know, getting your foot in the waters a little bit and playing six holes. Yeah, that seems seems good to me. So I'm looking forward to seeing if this becomes true or not. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Time will tell.
1: Yeah. And I think looking at it from the other perspective as well, for businesses, it allows them to get potentially different clients or more clients. And then there's obviously the psychology of pricing. So if you have three prices, people will tend to pick the middle one. Whereas if you don't give people any options, so there's also, it must be beneficial for companies to do it like that as well. Otherwise they wouldn't do it. So there's also like, it benefits the consumer, but it's also beneficial. It must be. Otherwise, I guess they wouldn't employ these policies, right? So I think there's also that element as well. Positive for the consumer, yes, but underneath that, it must be because it's beneficial for business and getting more customers and more clients or maybe higher paying customers as well.
0: All right. With that said, let's move into our final trend that we'll look at for this episode. And this prediction is about a shift in gender roles, I suppose, especially here in South Korea, I think maybe to an extent in different places around the world. This has already occurred, but here in Korea, they are predicting that in 2024, they're predicting millennial hubbies, <laughs> millennial hubbies. And, and a hubby is, of course, sort of a nickname for a husband, right? A hubby. So millennial hubbies, what does this mean? Well, the prediction says that a shift in gender roles will be observed With men breaking away from traditional norms and women pursuing careers, both genders are increasingly involved in childcare and household chores. So yeah, I think from my perspective here, living in Korea, there is still more rigid gender roles with like the man goes to the office and the woman stays at home and raises the family, this kind of traditional gender division than maybe in other countries. Although I have to say, I don't see this too much in reality. I think most people these days are just hustling and everybody's working. But I have heard that there is a rise of like families where the guy, the husband is staying at home and raising the kids and the wife is the breadwinner going out to the office and earning money for the family. And I think what this prediction is hinting at is not so much that there will be more of this kind of thing, it's just that it will be more socially acceptable. I think maybe in the past, some guys would have felt uncomfortable in this kind of arrangement, but now it's becoming more and more acceptable and guys don't have to feel ashamed or embarrassed if they're the ones staying at home raising the kids. And I even have some friends in this situation where the wife is going to the office and working and the husband is at home doing the child raising. So yeah, I think it'll just be more and more accepted. And I think that's probably a good thing. Like people shouldn't have to feel pressure about how they want to live their lives and how they want to raise their family. That's like that family's decision, right? Not society's decision. So I'm all for this one, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I think this is a trend for me. It's a trend that's been spoken about for several years now about, you know, men potentially staying at home and women having more of a role in the workplace. I think, for example, here in Spain, they have recently, in the past few years, introduced some law and policy about equalizing paternity leave, for example. So now women and men both have the same amount of paternity leave. Don't quote me exactly on the specifics, but there have been some steps towards that. And I think that's great. I think that's a step in the right direction. I think young families should be supported. But I think like you said, Andrew, what I see from my experience is more that actually it's that both parents have to work. It's not necessary that one has to work or the other. It's that a lot of families, both the mum and dad are working and they have to somehow organise childcare with family or nursery or kindergarten or whatever. So actually, that's what I see more of is like both families working and trying to kind of make it work and get childcare sorted out, which I can't imagine I don't have children. So if you're listening and you you have children, you think, wow, it's probably something difficult to to sort out. So that's kind of where I see it. I have to say, I agree with you. I don't see many or haven't heard of or met many people who are stay at home dads, which is another term that we use for that. But I think anything to make it easier for young families to have children, I think is a step in the right direction.
0: Yes, especially here in South Korea, where the birth rate is extremely, extremely low.
1: (laughs) Right, sure. Yeah, we want to encourage people to have children, you know.
0: Exactly. All right, Anna, we are going to continue our conversation here just for a few moments with some fun Bonus content. I have three rapid fire questions prepared that are related to the discussion that we had about these trend predictions coming out of Korea for 2024. And the first prediction that we talked about was Homo promptus. <laughs> and so I'm wondering how comfortable are you with the idea of AI making an important decision in your life?
1: I think AI can be a really useful tool. I certainly wouldn't feel comfortable with it making decisions for me, but I think that it can definitely be a sounding board. Maybe if you want to ask it something or you want to get some information about something, like why not? But I think the important thing is to take it with a pinch of salt and actually apply, like be critical about what it's saying. And I think, you know, human intuition is what makes us different. If we weren't different, then there would be no need for us, you know? So we are different than robots. We think in a different way. So. I think it's a tool that we can use to work alongside us. I don't know if that's what you feel as well, Andrew.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of using all of these different AI tools that are available. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, I've been using them a lot and I'm learning a lot about them and they've been helpful for me in doing a lot of different tasks, even here at the podcast, speeding up a lot of the work that I do here at the podcast even. So it's an awesome technological breakthrough and I think it's wonderful. But at the same time, I don't know if I would let it make an important decision for my life. Even recently, I had to arrange some travel plans, and I heard that you could use ChatGPT to make travel plans for you, and it could help you find a great deal on airplane tickets. So I was super stoked to try it out and to see if it would work well, and it didn't really give me any good bargains at all. And In fact, I ended up finding a much cheaper price than it was offered through. That service. So I think, yeah, not yet. I'm not ready to sign over my life to AI yet. (laughs) Maybe one day, but not now.
1: Okay. Well, shall I move on to the rapid fire question number two?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Okay. So, Andrew, in your daily life, and this is talking about the idea of time efficiency that we mentioned before, in your daily life, do you prioritize time efficiency over cost effectiveness? And maybe if you could share an example of that, if you do. Hmm. I think
0: it's case by case and day by day, and it depends how my day is going. But in general, I think I'm sort of cheap and I'd rather save money than save time. And an example of that is last week I had to meet my friends and I was running late and I thought there are only two ways that I could make it to meet my friends in time. One was taking a taxi, which would be expensive. And one would be riding my bike, which would be free. And so I decided just to ride my bike. Now, that was much cheaper, so I saved the money. And it was also much more fun, but it wasn't as fast. I was still like a little bit late in the end. And I also have to say, my friends were like, why didn't you just take a taxi? Like they all thought I was crazy for not taking the taxi. They all would have taken the taxi in that situation. But I was like, it just seems like such a waste when I can do it myself. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, it's case by case. It depends on my schedule and what I need to fit into my day. What about you, Anna?
1: Okay, so I'm more the opposite because I'm like, money is time. One of the things I love about my smartwatch is the timer. So I actually time like different sections of my day. So I'm like, I'm going to read for 10 minutes and I put it and then it vibrates when I finish my 10 minutes. So I'm really big about that. And a good example for me, like your taxi one, is. There's a museum near my house and every Sunday they have a free day where you can go and visit the museum for free. But because it's free, there's always a huge queue. But I'm like, I would rather pay and have no queue than queue and not pay. I hate queuing. Like I really hate it. Like it, it, for me, it's a waste of time. So anything I can do to avoid queuing, I'm like, perfect. Even if it's free, I would rather pay full price and not queue. So I may be a little bit different, but I agree. It's a case by case basis. But I really value time making the most of my time rather than necessarily if something's free or not. But it depends on the thing, right? I guess there's obviously a limit of that. If something's free, I'm like, well, I'm going to wait for it. No problem. But if it's not too expensive, I would probably normally just be like, oh, I'll just pay for it. And I'll just go when there's no queue.
0: Right, right. Well, I think... In that kind of situation, like you mentioned, an experience like going to a museum or gallery, if there are tons of people there, even if it's free, then it's going to ruin the experience and it ends up being a waste of time, right? And so you might save money, but then you just wasted your time. And I would rather pay money than waste time. I think, you know, wasting time is the worst. So. In that kind of situation, I'm totally with you. I'd rather pay and just go see it when it's like calm and you don't have to wait in line. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I don't know if any of you guys have been to Madrid and you've been to the Prado Museum, but the Prado Museum has something similar on a Sunday. It's free, but it's full of people. You just think I would rather pay and go when there's nobody and there's no queue.
0: You know what? My wife and I actually went there and we waited in that line because we didn't know it was free that day. We were just planning to go. And then we're like, why are all these people waiting in that line? And it was a huge line, like, guys, ridiculous line. It was still good, but yeah, I think, you know, looking back at it now, it probably would have been better to not wait in that line. We were in there for at least two hours waiting just to get in. All right, rapid fire question number three. Uh, Anna, we talked about the hexagonal human concept. I'm wondering, either in your social circle, And if it's somebody that you know personally, you don't have to like mention their name or anything, but social circle or just in the world, like in celebrities or like anybody in the world, can you even think of somebody that fits the description of a hexagonal human? I've been racking my brain trying to think of somebody. And of course, I can think of some people who are like, well, very well educated or very talented, but maybe they're not the most beautiful. Or I can think of really beautiful people, but they're kind of not the most educated. I'm having a hard time thinking of somebody who fits all six categories. Were you able to think of anyone?
1: I mean, there's people that if, for example, I'm using social media, there's people that project that that they have, oh, I have a lovely family. I love all my family. Oh, I'm really rich and I'm super beautiful. I mean, they don't say that explicitly, but that's the image that they're giving off, right? I think it comes back to what I said before, when we were discussing it. It's like, People might give the impression, and that's the outer thing that you see is this, wow, this person has everything together. They have the family, they have the wealth, they have the beauty. But underneath that, there's things that we never, ever see that people don't put on social media or they don't want to. Because remember, it's like a highlight reel social media. Nobody's going to put on there something about the challenges or the struggles that we have. Although that is maybe a trend that's coming out as people are being more realistic about that. But anyway, nobody's perfect. And I think that sort of, comes back to, you know, that's an age old expression of nobody's perfect, everybody has their own things. So I can't think of anybody that I personally think is a hexagonal human, but I think it's because you don't really know everything about people normally. And there's always things that are there underneath the scenes. But it's certainly what people project on things like social media. People are like, wow, all these people have the perfect lives. They are the perfect people. And, you know, and then it makes you feel bad that you don't meet that standard. Um so I don't know, That's I don't know anyone that's a hexagonal human, I'm certainly not, and I don't think anybody really is, you know? Nobody's perfect, right?
0: Yeah, or the perfect hexagonal human exists, but their personality is very humble, because they have a perfect personality, and that means that they're not on social media bragging about themselves, so we can't see them. So they might be out there, but they're hiding somewhere, I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. I think we'll wrap things up for this episode, everyone. So we hope that you enjoyed it. Take care and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. That brings us to the end of this lesson. Talk to you next time. Bye.